From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President Sophia Thomas. And this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse and the final episode in our NP Week series, NPs Today, Tomorrow, Together. As always, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back each month for new conversations with nurse practitioners and healthcare leaders from across the nation. We're closing out our four-part NP Week series with a bang as we celebrate and welcome the co-founder of the NP role. That's right, the woman who started it all way back in 1965, the woman who created the NP role, Loretta Ford. Dr. Ford will be celebrating her 100th birthday this year in December, and I'm just so honored that she took the time to sit down with me and share with you how the NP role originated, where we've been, and where we're going as healthcare providers. If you are a nurse practitioner, this is where you started, and this is why you're here, and this is why you're able to do what you do. So it is with my utmost respect that I welcome the legend herself, Dr. Loretta Ford. Dr. Ford, thank you so much for joining us today on NP Pulse. It's an honor to have you as a guest today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Well, to celebrate NP Week this year, and we're going to be celebrating your 100th birthday on December the 28th. You've seen so much in your life, and there's so much that I'd like to be able to tell our listeners about about you and your life and, and um, about the history, not only of the role, but what, what you got, um, how you got to that position, how you got to become um, and start the first nurse practitioner program at the University of Colorado. Um, I, I heard you wanted to be a teacher at one time. Oh, yes. Well, I always wanted to be a teacher. And since I was a small child, uh, Unfortunately, I, I, when I was too young to get into college, I didn't have the money anyway, and uh, so I ended up as a nurse's aide in a hospital just to have uh, a, a job. Since so, uh, first thing you know, I'm enrolled in school in the school of nursing, and I lived with the students and. It took me a little longer because I was younger and they wouldn't accept some <laughs> things. But um, in the long run, it was a wise choice that I didn't make in the beginning. But I, I learned to uh, love nursing. And I ended up in public health nursing as my first job. Because in that, of course, there was a tremendous amount of teaching that we did in homes and in um, nursing care of people in the homes. So essentially it worked out because I ended up, uh, of course, in an academic setting with uh, teaching and uh, 
a little more administration than I would have liked, but uh, got to keep moving up. <laughs> and so tell me about, before you did all of this, I know you served in World War II. Isn't that, is that correct? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. My fiancé was uh, killed, unfortunately, uh, in the Pacific, and uh, I felt committed to go. And besides, I, I wanted to fly. Um, I even took lessons in uh, Florida when my first assignment in the Air Force. I couldn't stand it. I got, I got airsick. Oh, no. <laughs> So you served in it. What it's it's now called the Air Force, but before that it was called um, the Army Air Corps. Corps, mm-hmm. and but we were a separate corps, uh, and um, it was of course nobody thought much about the airplane in the beginning of the war as they did in the end, and then. The, I, I say I danced my way through World War Two <laughs> because um, I was stateside most of the time, and any time I went abroad, I went on my own when I could. So that's that's my short military history. Because uh, then uh, I wanted to go on to get my bachelor's degree beyond the, the diploma that I had and started a long trek through education, most of it at the University of Colorado. And that's where you got your bachelor's degree? I ended up there uh, teaching, too, when I finished. And, uh, you know, at the time, it was interesting uh, because... People have forgotten that the master's degree at that time was offered only in teaching and administration. But the profession was changing rapidly. And uh, the um, accrediting agencies came up, and the the organizations themselves, and... um, identifying the baccalaureate degree as the first professional degree in nursing. But then they felt that there had to be a clinical specialist component because that's, uh, if it was going to be a master's in nursing, it had to be advanced nursing. So at that time, faculty were charged with identifying the um, content and processes for a master's degree in their particular specialties. So at Colorado, uh, the academic uh, fields were public health, nursing, um, maternal and child health, psychiatric nursing, um, and um, nurse midwives was part of that, nurse anesthetist. So um, what it meant was identifying the content. And, and I thought I was doing exactly what the uh, profession said we should be doing and identifying uh, the uh, process and content for a master's degree in public health nursing. 
and um, the opportunity was there, and I began experimenting <laughs> and demonstrating a change in the public health nursing role. And so the nurse practitioner role really grew out of the, the public health nursing role. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. So let me ask you this. People say oftentimes we, we, um, we hear the nurse practitioner role grew because um, uh, Dr. Ford and Dr. Silver saw that there was a shortage of primary care physicians. And so that is why they, they started this role. Yes, that's, that's really not true for me. That's what you told me last year. So I want you to clarify that for everybody while we're on record. Can you imagine uh, an educated nurse, um, a teacher, wanting to fulfill medicine's deficiencies? Oh, I tell you, uh, like tell them uh, that may have been Henry Silver, and there wasn't a there was a need in the community because there was a shortage. But I wasn't doing it to fulfill medicine's responsibilities. Uh, it was up to them to prepare the people that want. So I thought primary health care was a nursing function. And in that sense, uh, the pediatric nurse practitioner came about because the health and wellness uh, which is or the core of nursing's values um, was uh, really what I was after was well children and their families and communities and that's how how we started but I, I, I wasn't the most popular kid on the block <laughs> <laughs> I was a pariah in nursing and particularly in the academic uh, uh, strong hearts about, um, first of all, working with a physician. That was practically a no-no. They were sure I was going back to the old diploma school. And then there were always questions about, well, was it legal? Was it, was it nursing? Was it nursing? Well, assessment was one of the first uh, elements of the nursing process. And uh, we, of course, were pretty heavy on assessment of child health, and uh, which is based on growth and development, of course. And I, I thought I was doing the right thing. Of course, you know, Sophia, that um, uh, academically, faculty, when they're making a new curriculum, don't usually test out the ideas that they have. They sit around and talk about it for, uh, you know, several weeks and maybe years. Have meetings to plan the meetings. Yeah, and, and then they forgot what they talked about the week before. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, the, um, the fun that we had was not all fun and games and... Uh, I, I, I was not really very popular as a, as a faculty member uh, after I started the nurse practitioner. Well, change is very difficult, and, and you know, d 
designing and developing a new role for nurses to, to meet the needs of the community, um, successfully meeting the needs of the community. Um, I'm sure there were several naysayers. Always. And they were, some of them were pretty powerful naysayers. There were deans and leaders who were very vocal. Now, not all, thank goodness. So I had some, um, some support from, for, from some uh, well-known uh, people in the community, a lot of the more in the community of nursing, quote-unquote, uh, really, around the nation. And uh, some of them, of course, were in government, and some were uh, deans, a few, because of other deans who <laughs> wrote my dean and said, what is that our report doing? <laughs> <laughs> So how many how many people were in the first uh, class at University of Colorado? Um, actually, I think only six. We took very small numbers. Um, first of all, we had academic standards. Uh, these some of the nurses had masters in public health. Most, of, most we took public health nurses, and because we intended for them to be running health conferences in the community. So um, we were, were um, very uh, strict in terms of the criteria that they had to have at least baccalaureate from a, an accredited school. They had to have public health experience. They had to have a job to go to uh, that, and the agency would take them. Um, they had to uh, have had experience uh, in uh, either the U.S. or some of them were internationally uh, prepared. And um, um, actually, uh, they were legally uh, and academically well prepared for uh, this new role. So, yeah. did I say we had about six or eight or a smaller number? Yeah, that's good. Well, you have to start small and work your way up, and now we have over 290,000 nurse practitioners. Can you believe that? Yeah, uh, well, it took a little while to get to that one. It, it did. Over one billion patient visits a year. That's amazing that that, that started out. Um, you know, 1965, you think about what else happened in 1965. The Social Security Act um, happened that year. Mm -hmm. It's interesting uh, what happened. It was very obvious that I wasn't going to be able to stay at Colorado. So um, I, I, I could have gone to any number of uh, universities that were interested in doing what I was committed to do by then. But um, the University of Rochester offered a very unusual opportunity because um, it not only had program to prepare pediatric nurse practitioners, uh, it was not incorporated in the master's program, but um, 
it was uh, offered there. So they had the physicians and nurses at Rochester were very much interested and supportive of the idea. The other thing is I began to realize that changing the role of one person makes it very, very difficult unless they've got all the power and control of money to make any changes without institutional support. So uh, because they at Rochester were offering me an opportunity to unify practice, education, and research into one model, which they created, uh, physicians, nurses, administrators, uh, not only created the model, which was in a way similar to, to medicine, because if they were the chief of medicine, for example, was both the, the chief in the hospital and the chief of medical education. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, the pattern was set. And nurses then were also chiefs of the education practice of surgeon nursing. And I, I became the dean of the school as well as the director of nursing. Now, if that isn't jumping from, <laughs> you know, the fat into the fire, I don't know what it is. But um, uh, it was a wise choice. But meanwhile, um, the nurse practitioner role was beyond, began to be offered by some of the agencies that wanted them, like Planned Parenthood. The military had their own uh, nurse practitioner program. Um, some other agencies, that have, but um, they were not academically chosen. They were chosen to work in that particular industry or institute. So uh, it was going on, even though uh, the schools, and this is not only Colorado, but a fair number of other schools, too, were very reluctant to um, start a nurse practitioner. And, and one of the great problems, of course, was they didn't have faculty prepared. Yeah. Uh, yeah it really, and as a matter of fact, I think a lot of the resistance to the idea came from faculty, who many were, of course, tenured and long-time academicians, but they began to hear the truth, and that was that faculty, if they're teaching clinical courses, should be clinically competent. And some of these faculty hadn't been near, nearly as well uh, clinically uh, prepared as, as they were otherwise. So... Uh, some of the resistance came from fear of change of the faculty role. And once I understood that, um, it took me a while. <laughs> I got kicked around a bit um, before I got the message. Um, th- then uh, I, I began to deal with change from the theoretical viewpoint. 
That helped so, a great deal to uh, have a, a theory of change. If you saw that and recognized that you, you should be dealing with fear and not with, uh, you know, uh, what they call fact. <laughs> mm-hmm. So some of the biggest opposition you faced early on when, when developing the role and developing the the educational models was from within nursing itself because of fear of change, fear of the unknown, fear of lack of preparedness by some faculty. Um, so not just within the physician community. No. As a matter of fact, we had less problems with physicians than we did with nurse educators who are very resistant. Uh, not all. The, mm-hmm. And it was interesting. The younger the faculty, the more accepting they were of the role and interested in it. But the, phys- the physicians, the older the physician, the more he accepted it than the young bucks <laughs> because they saw the nurse practitioner as, co- as a competitor, as a competitor. And so, yeah, the older the physician recognized the value of nursing and work with them for years, and the young um, um, medical students and young physicians were more resistant. Yeah, well, that's under that's understandable. I think back then, what would you say? Um, you know, you've seen so much uh, since you started this role over what is it, fifty five years ago now. What do you think has been um, the biggest obstacle that we have really overcome thus far? Well, I think it really, it really, for me anyway, it was. Um, nurses who really uh, resisted it and did many things that uh, constantly challenged our our positions. It has changed over time. Now, of course, the big problem is uh, the AMA and their, their strength and money put into a political um, war chest to keep the state statutory authority from all the states. So it's the state laws then, but it really is not necessarily the um, representatives and senators particularly, but it's it's, it's the society organized medicine. Now, this is not true of individual physicians. Uh, most of the physicians that nurses, nurse practitioners work with are very enthusiastic about them and supportive of them uh, and don't see them as competitors or, you know, lawbreakers or anything else. <laughs> no, and I agree. I think um, my, my physician colleagues re- uh, respect me and and respect my other NP colleagues and understand um, our scope, our capabilities, and our ability to provide access to care for patients and understand the difference that we make in, in healthcare, really living true to your dream of, of being that, that 
public health nurse, that the one that provides the care to the patients that that so need it. And now just the advancement of the role starting out as as a pediatric role and now really having more family practice and encompassing a, a, encompassing that entire family unit. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish that we wouldn't call it primary care, but we would call it primary health care is what the nurses deliver. And once we began to, you know, I'm, I'm a big nut on language. Language use. I I don't think nurse practitioners are mid level practitioners. They're not non physicians. They're not. No. We're nurse practitioners. And I see the profession of nursing, our basic profession of nursing. And uh, if we keep that in mind, I think with the language. careful language, we'd be much better, uh, much more able, I think, to make the case for uh, changes in statutory authority. Yeah, so our basic profession is nursing, and our role is that of a nurse practitioner. Yes, and the nurse practitioners in any field are advanced practice. Some of them are uh, working... um, and uh, well, there's I don't know of any specialty that they don't fit into. So, um, and that's their right, and that's what they like to do. It's not only primary health care that they o- offer, but hopefully, some of the elements of primary health care show up in the uh, specialties that nurses choose. Absolutely. And and so what would you say, Dr. Ford, are, you've seen so much growth of this role. You've you've seen over the years um, our challenges, our obstacles, our successes. Um, What do you see as as now one of the current challenges that that we face after we've we've overcome so much and we've come, as they say, you've come a long way, baby. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, we have... uh, we have so much further to go. What do, what do you see as um, a, a challenge? And also, what do you see when we look about, we talk about today, tomorrow, and together, what do you see as the future? Well, I see these un- unprecedented times as an opportunity. Now, you know the Chinese have a symbol, and that symbol means both crisis and opportunity. And we are in crisis, but this is an opportunity for us. And if you've been noticing, as I know you have, uh, all the great publicity we're getting nationally and internationally for nurse practitioners now, some great videos on the news uh, and the recognition of nurses, nurses generally, and nurse practitioners particularly. So I think today we have opportunities to do what we need to do, and that's to get our uh, political um, junctures uh, in line now. And we have to be building that case for statutory authority from... um, every state, and not only that, 
uh, we need the federal legislation that relates to practice, like funding and so that we recognize nurse practitioners as as one of the primary providers of care, and uh, they're pretty well. Uh, I think data-wise, we're we're very very well suited, I mean, uh, very well supported by data. Of course, unfortunately today, <laughs> there's, not th- there's not much political capital and data, but um, there will come a day uh, that uh, the data that we're showing in terms of, of uh, the accessibility, affordability, availability, and... Uh, uh, security of uh, of their safety and all sorts of things are, are pretty well demonstrated. But I think we'll have to uh, be organized to move and to be moving now uh, step by step, but to have a plan for uh, the strategies that will allow us to function and to be reimbursed for it. Also, recognized, reimbursed, and uh, have the recording of their uh, good works and all, all, you know, every press. We've got some very good opportunities press-wise now to raise our voices and um, tell our stories. And uh, I think we're doing quite well in that regard. But it has to be tied to the larger strategies uh, that that will move the country toward the the recognition of what the nurse practitioners have to offer and will continue to have to offer. So the support for education, uh, laws of uh, reimbursement for care, uh, the autonomy in practice that we need to do the job, and uh, I, I think that the time is ripe to do things. I agree, and I think, you know, we're so proud at AANP, we've got our advocacy center, and, and we really stay on top of not only the federal policy uh, um, successes and, and challenges, but also our state health policy um, issues. and. So far, we have 22 states plus the District of Columbia, a couple of U.S. territories. Uh, the VA Healthcare Services now has full um, practice authority, and um, I, I see several other state legislator uh, legislatures um, taking some kind of action. And I I applaud all all really the grassroots nurse practitioners for standing up and taking the initiative to to move these health policies forward to really try to remove outdated practice um, uh, guidelines and, and um, laws that really just, just are um, archaic right now. We really need to modernize our outdated uh, licensure laws so we can really practice to the top of our education and training um, without any regulatory restrictions so we can improve access to care and I agree with you we have the data um, the data is there and we've got um, you know several decades worth of data and the studies are still ongoing but what moves people many times are the stories 
and the closer we get to telling those stories, uh, and I encourage individuals to do that, but not to each other, but to the press. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, uh, any hometown newspaper these days, uh, or probably not newspapers particularly, but... But on the cell phone. Yeah, uh, uh, all the technical. <laughs> uh-huh. I think people recognize the value of nursing, and um, especially, as you said, during COVID right now, nurses are, are, are shining in the work that we've done, the care that we've provided to patients. And even, um, you know, we've had uh, five states, the governors in their uh, declaration of emergencies allowed nurse practitioners uh, to practice at the top of their education and training, removing those requirements for uh, the collaborative practice agreements, um, unfortunately, just temporarily during the duration of of the uh, pandemic. But, you know, my thinking is if we're good enough to practice to the top of our education and training during a pandemic, what? why not every day? Um, why can't we make those uh, temporary waivers permanent to really um, encourage nurse practitioners to go out into those rural communities to to start clinics and and look at long-term solutions for the challenges that we meet uh, in healthcare. Change and everything is related to timing many times. And if we miss this opportunity to say, you know, it was all right for us to practice then, I think uh, some of the organizations particularly are going to have a very hard time refuting that and uh, making, uh, trying to make a case for keeping a nurse practitioner uh, uh, under wraps, so to speak, and under their wraps, so to speak. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, saying strike while the iron's hot, that's ex- this is exactly uh, what, they, what we talk about. Start now to work on that because... Uh, it's it's uh it's it's awful to think of have to think about this as an opportunity, but there are a lot of things we could change, and we should really um do it. I, I think nurses are demonstrating that absolutely, and I think that patients recognize the holistic approach that we take to patient care they they appreciate the extra time that we spend listening to them. You know, not only addressing their individual health care needs, but assessing their family situation, their social situation. And um, I think that's the difference that we make in healthcare with that patient relationship is we use that innate being inside us that that we started with as nurses. You know, people you ask people, why did you want to go into nursing? It's it's because we want to help people and um, we we carry that on throughout our, our, our profession as we develop our, our role as individual nurse practitioners. Yes, I do have one concern. Uh, I have a lot of concerns, but the one concern I have about nurses uh, practicing at the advanced level is that um, they emulate many practices of the physician and are, are not as 
perhaps conscious of it. And you know, one has to worry that you get your kicks out of 66 <laughs> compliments <laughs> because you're, you're, we all relate to the physician. Uh, and so I think it's important. That's why I stress that the most important word in nurse practitioners is nurse. And uh, what do you have to offer is based on everything that we have in terms of, of the, the core of our being. And so uh, we wouldn't have advanced practice. You have to be a nurse to get into advanced practice, and you have to have the academic uh, um, um, credentials and um, maintain the standards. And so I think it's, it's important for practicing nurses to keep that in mind uh, as they are pushed many times to um, be an extender of a physician rather than uh, an extension of nursing and nursing practice. And I think it takes time. And and you know what, I, I think, uh, you know, see, any change and, and really um, uh, anything that we work on as, as professional nurses, it's going to take all of us to try to achieve our goals and achieve um, our full practice authority. I, I really call on the grassroots nurse practitioners, those that are out there practicing every day in clinics all across the country and every... Um, Really, there's not any, as you said earlier, there's no area in healthcare where you won't find nurse practitioners. And I think as we, um, as we push for full practice authority and the ability to practice at the top of our education and training, it's going to take these grassroots nurse practitioners to speak up um, and, and advocate for, for our own uh, roles on, on, on our behalf. Well, I'm hoping that uh, they come out of some of the educational programs with uh, an understanding of these basic concepts. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you a question. Um, I'm going to change the subject for a second. Um, where did the term nurse practitioner come from? Well, actually, Henry and I created it, but... What I wanted to, to, first of all, we wanted to focus on practice, that this was important. Secondly, um, we wanted to, uh, I, I wanted public health nurse, pediatric nurse practitioner, because it was in our, our really first work, and uh, the ones we had studied was under the uh, Israeli children. And uh, so, because that caused me a lot of trouble with uh, MCH people, as you can imagine. Mm. But anyway, uh, so I wanted the public health nurse, pediatric nurse practitioner. But you could just imagine, uh, at that time, we didn't have so much alphabetic soup behind your name as you do today. <laughs> but it was it was just too much. We didn't think we could get it. So... Uh, we we wanted it focused on the children, and that this is what this is what we do, and this is um, and this is the whole curriculum really was about child growth and development, 
and family service in that regard. So uh, I, uh, Henry, Henry was for the shorter name. So I gave up the public health nurse. <laughs> and everybody, everybody else, and took it on with, took the nurse practitioner on for their own good. Now we have a mineral specialty, but. Uh, okay, so the 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 name nurse practitioner came from directly from uh, you and Doctor Silver. Uh huh. Gotcha. Well, that see, that's good to know. A lot of people don't don't know that, and then. I want to ask you, um, you know, you are Dr. Loretta Ford, icon, pioneer, um, but there's so much more to you than being um, the founder, the co-founder of the nurse practitioner role at University of Colorado. You you play golf? <laughs> Poorly. Not, <laughs> and I haven't been playing lately either. But well, what are some things, if you if you could speak to uh, a young nurse practitioner right now, what would be some things that you would tell that young NP about um, the the role, life, um, words of wisdom, any any pearls? Well, if you're doing anything worthwhile, there's going to be some resistance, and learn to deal with that. And one way to deal with it is to make change a game. Um, get yourself a good theory of change and then develop the strategies, logistics, and tactics that you're going to use. And pretty soon, you begin to enjoy change because, sure, you make mistakes, but at least you had a plan. And in that regard, you found out something you shouldn't do or won't do. And something that will. And therefore, that's where the, the fun of practice comes from, is l learning, uh, you know, what could be changed and how to change it and what works and what doesn't. So I'd, I'd like them to be curious about things. And uh, instead of asking, how do you do this? Why do you do it? And what other options would you say if you had your chance? Um, I would say keep moving on up, not necessarily to administration, but in whatever uh, field you're interested in, um, because someday you may own that business, <laughs> and uh, you want to be sure that you're the tops. Um, I, I I just think that it's, it, it's um, a lot more fun to be involved in the change. And you do in change, and there are a lot of things that could be changed, uh, including ourselves. I mean, uh, I find things yet in myself that I need to change. And Nancy Lee, who's my lovely tech friend, who set us up today is after me to be more competent. <laughs> the more the the more I learn, the more I have to learn. The more I have to learn, the more I have to do. And I don't have that kind of time left. <laughs> well, you'll be a hundred in December. You've got plenty of time. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> 
So, so I'll, I'll, I'd like to ask one more question because I know this is something that's been important to you. Um, the, the importance of women's right to vote, the suffragette. Um, I know this has been something that's very important to you. And um, as we celebrate your 100th birthday this year, the International Year of the Nurse and Wit Midwife, Florence Nightingale's 200th birthday, the right to vote is something that, that you've been so proud of as well. Can you speak to that? Well, I, I certainly don't think we reached our peak yet, but uh, I'm hoping that um, we'll maintain the momentum that we've gained over the years, and we've gained, I think, recently. But uh, I still think that, the, the, that society has not benefited as much as it could uh, if we um, had more opportunities or take more opportunities. I tell you, I don't think they want to give us anything. I think you have to take them. And uh, there's no use sitting around waiting for someone to either give you more votes or whatever. You have to go after them. And uh, so that's really more what I think probably uh, is a, you know, a good kick in the rear and get moving. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, you've seen so much in your life. Um, you've seen so much of history and you've been such an inspiration to all nurse practitioners. And, and without you, I mean, I don't know what I would be doing uh, with myself because I am a nurse practitioner. If you hadn't have started this role, I, I don't know what I would be doing. Listen, a lot of people give me credit, and the credit belongs to you all because um, you maybe needed a little push or an opportunity, but believe me, I did nothing compared to what the group is doing today and will do tomorrow. And so I, I, the, th the thing I'm most proud of is not the numbers of nurse practitioners so much as their happiness with the role and the patient's quality of care that they're getting from nurse practitioners. So that, those are the things that I'm more uh, proud of than anything because uh, I, I think that it, there's a lot of enthusiasm for what nurses are doing, or what nurse practitioners are doing particularly. And uh, it's, it's taken a lot, but isn't the rewards are great. So. They are. And, you know... And we, we do what we do because we we are inspired uh, by you and everything. You, you fought a lot just to create the role. So we're going to do everything we can. It's been a gift uh, from you to us, to the future. Um, you've you've helped to form, lay a foundation for those of us to come behind you and continue your great work at impacting and influencing health care, providing care to the patients that need it. And so um, I'm so thankful for you. Um, and, and I'm thankful for you joining us today. It's, I think it's been a, a great discussion. I enjoyed it, Sophia. Thank you, Loretta. What an honor it was to speak with you today. 
What an amazing, tough, principled woman she is and still going strong at 100 years old. We're so lucky to have Dr. Ford around to be able to share the history of the nurse practitioner firsthand. Now we need you to get involved so that future generations of NPs can have the same opportunity. The AANP History Committee is holding a writing contest during the month of November. Today's events are tomorrow's history. So help preserve your experiences from 2020 for future NPs by submitting an article, a manuscript, a poem, or any other handwritten work that captures your first-hand account of the COVID pandemic. Visit aanp.org forward slash NP hyphen history hyphen writing hyphen contest to learn more. Yes, that's aanp.org NP history writing contest. You might even win a $100 gift card for submitting your piece. I want to remind everyone again of AANP's special NP Week membership discount. Don't forget to use the discount code NPWEEK20 to save $20 on an NP membership or membership renewal during the month of November. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back each month for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Thank <laughs> you.